Hello and welcome to another special episode of Relics of Ore. I am your host, Shongaku, a.k.a. Eric, and I am also joined from Relics of Ore, Evie. How are you doing today, Evie? I need more coffee. I have an entire pot with me, which is awesome, but we're not going to talk about my coffee pot. We're going to talk about, or with, the people who are here today, which is the Rock Paper Shotgun Guild, led by Duke Witherheart. How are you today, Duke? I'm good, thank you. I will say that I'm technically not the guild leader. I, I like to think I'm the moral leader of the guild. The moral center, the heart. Absolutely, the heart that pumps the fluids around the body that is Appius. Oh, <laughs> I should probably point out that most of the fluids of the heart point down. <laughs> so that probably says a lot for your own moral compass. We'll go with that then. <laughs> well, it's gla- we're we're excited to have you back on the show. Uh, who you. have you brought with you? You've brought someone uh, named Monkey. Yes, that's right. I've um, gone out into the streets of Divinity's Reach with a cane with a hook on the end, and I've brought two random people in with me. Not really. They're two guild officers. Uh, the first one is Monkey. Good evening, good afternoon, uh, good morning. And the Hello. second is uh, Tweetity. Hello. Hi. Well, it's exciting. To, we're excited to have you guys on the show. We are going to be talking about, once again, in our expanded interview series, about raiding in Guild Wars 2, based on the CDI that closed a week, two weeks ago? Or is it still That's going? Right, coming up to two weeks. No, it's, it's closed now. It's going up to two weeks of it being closed. Um, but yeah, very interesting. All right. Well, we'll jump right into it. After a few more introductions, we'll go down the list of what I've got here in the in the Mumble server, which is Monkey up at the top. So, Monkey, how many MMOs have you played, and sort of what's your background in in that and gaming? Uh, so, Guild Wars Two is the actual only MMO I've ever played, and may well be the only I ever play, depending. Uh, I've originally started off much more of a uh, FPS in the original um, Team Fortress back in the day when I could play a, out of my office as ADSL and be one of those hyping bastard snipers. And that moved on to Team Fortress 2, Dave Defeat, all of that. And then about a year after its launch, I was reading far too many RPS articles that were talking about how awesome Guild Wars 2 was. So when I purchased it and been in part of RPS ever since. Awesome. Well, it's good to have you on the show. Duke, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. Um, Well, most of you will know me from previous Relics of All episode when I came in and talked about World vs. World and also our joint PvE adventure back in March, which was uh, the World vs. All. And my first MMO ever was actually a game called Ragnarok Online. And we're talking something like 15 years ago or something ridiculous like that um, which was a isometric top-down um, Japanese anime game from that I went on to World of Warcraft for a little while not too long and uh, experienced some of the raiding scene there and uh, since then I kind of just jumped in and out of MMOs until finally coming to play Guild Wars 2 picked it up on launch weekend and I've kind of stuck with it ever since because of things like you know the, the big events and the world versus world I really appreciate the massively part of what the game's trying to do Awesome, and Tweetity? 
Well, um, I was um, a game master in a very obscure, well, I don't know if it was uh, that obscure, but uh, an obscure MMO called uh, Tell in the Desert. And I also played Guild Wars 1 at the same time, uh, but just until they brought uh, expansion in and then um, followed the news for Guild Wars 2. And when it started, I just pre-ordered it and I'm in it ever since. Now, Tale in the Desert, that's a pretty niche MMO. Did Has that informed any of your experience in Guild Wars 2? Or are they just so radically different? They're very different. Very, very different. Uh, Attack in the Desert is not really a combat FPS or anything like that game. It's more, it's quite political and social. And there's also a lot of build around it. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's very difficult to compare it. Oh, cool. That's, that is, that's one that's always interested me, but I've never actually gotten into it. So... This is going to give us a lot of different points of view. Don't you agree, Evie? This will be exciting. Oh, yeah, definitely. So, so <laughs> where should we start, Evie? Probably some more personal questions. What's your, what are your favorite professions in the game? That's a good um, question. Probably start from the top, Monkey. Uh, so, I'm quite unique in Guild Wars 2, and especially in our guild, in that I actually only have three alts. So I don't even have my normal full five roster, and that is a Norn Warrior, which was my first one. It's um, it's just something really tickled me about big Nordic people going around hitting things with axes. So that's what I did first, uh, and I still love him. He's a good laugh. He's the only one I take fractaling, so he's got full ascended armor and full ascended trinkets, slowly putting AR on everything. Uh, my other two are a Silvari Necro, who's probably my main alt now that most people know me as under Monk's Bane. And then the other one is a Human Guardian. Do you incorporate Monk or Monkey into all of your character names? Yeah, so it's generally Monk's something. So Monk's Bane was my necro name. I thought it was quite suitably neckish. Uh, Monk's Guard was my guardian, but it's two A's. And Monk's, Monk's Bjornsson is my Norn name. That's an awesome Norn name. I approve. <laughs> the best Norn name ever. <laughs> I don't know. Necronomicon was pretty good. Yeah, that's, that's, that's quite good. So, Duke, what is your favorite profession? I, I don't have one, actually. Um, I've just been thinking about that. I I don't. Like, I've got uh, four characters at level 80 now, a warrior, a guardian, an Ellie, and a mesmer. And um, I don't know. I just seem to flip between them, depending on what the situation requires. I honestly don't have a preference for playing them. I will say that, actually... Duke, which is the Mesmer Duke with a heart, uh, is is the least played out of the four um, outside of you know big events and things like that. When I'm just using the name to uh, attract people, <laughs> which sounds a little bit stuck up, but um, I don't actually enjoy playing Mesmer that much. I'd rather go on a warrior or a guardian. And I don't know if that's going to be an unpopular opinion because warriors are seen as a little bit overpowered, but. Um, no, I think what ArenaNet have done with Warriors in this game is uh, very good, and it's a lot different to Warriors in, say, World of Warcraft, yeah. which were rejected for a long yeah. time. Yeah, and Warriors, I just got the copy all your stacks of might onto everyone around you on my Warrior. That, oh my goodness, that's just 
hardcore. Yeah. It, yeah, I mean, it's not even that. It's just they're very versatile. Um, I mean, and this is going to be even more popular, but I actually play Rifle Warrior in SPVP. And, um, yeah, it's just a lot of fun to play with compared to, you know, I, I mean, my first 80 was a Guardian, and that was uh, not fun to level in contrast to the Warrior, which was just so much damage and uh, so tanky at the same time. It was great. Nice. Tweetati, what is your favorite profession in Guild Wars 2? Uh, I hesitate. Uh, my main uh, is an engineer because uh, when I played um, the Guild Wars 2 beta, um, I, I've, I tried that profession because it was new and I found it really versatile and I loved it so I thought well okay I'll, ma- I'll probably make an, uh, an engineer as my main but then when I played Guild Wars 1 my main was a necro yeah. Uh, necro- yeah yeah I absolutely loved the fact that you could have millions of minions it was amazing <laughs> yeah <laughs> but then when I played the Guild Wars 2 version I was a bit frustrated Understandably, uh, but, um, yeah. But I have I have three main characters, but um, like Duke, I specialize them. So Twitty is more like so. My engineer is more like a PvE character. Then um, my Necro is more of um, PvP character, and then my third one, which is um, a Masma, is more of a World versus War character. Cool. That's. It it is interesting how you can find sort of a build or a playstyle between the three different ones on different characters that you enjoy. I've been finding that interesting because I love Necro and PvE, even though it's terrible. Although good news is now that no one uses condition builds, my condition build actually works. <laughs> yes, because there's no you will be in a Zerg with a hundred people and there will be one other condition guy. And so I can stack my conditions and deal most damage because most people have moved as far away from conditions as possible. Yeah, I've got. Um, <clears throat> I, I run my necro as a power necro generally for PV, um, but I've got a conditioned version primarily for doing worm actually. I'm not worm. Yes, worm, because of when you need it for doing amber or crimson that lot. Yeah. Um, but it but it runs well in world v world as well. But it's more of a dire based one. But yeah, it's good fun. Cool. Have you thought about getting the uh, sinister set? Kind of. So the, the only thing is, is I'm not I'm not precision based condition because I don't see the point in it. The advantage you've got condition. Go on. The advantage may be in if you've got the procking of torment because there's so few people that stack torment. A higher proc rate for the sixty percent on crit could be helpful. Yeah, and I, I suspect, I mean, there'll be huge metas out there for um, for precision-based um, ones. It's just I went much more for uh, dire, so I went for longevity with toughness and vitality and conditions um, and figured go across as, as many as possible and stay alive for a bit longer. But it's always an interesting one. It's kind of it's the whole DPS argument, isn't it? Yeah. Can If you can stay alive longer but do less damage, is that better or worse than staying alive for less time? Well, plus... Doing more damage. Yeah. Plus, you take people doing damage off of doing damage when they have to bring you back up. Indeed. Which sort of Uh, leads us into an initial element of the raiding discussion, which is what you feel about... 
about the current builds that are out there and how roles and weight play styles can play into raiding as a game mode. What do you guys think about the current roles and how would you like to see that translated into a a rating situation. Although I suppose first we should define how we all talk about rating. Definitely, yeah. Um, I think the traditional idea of rating from games like World of Warcraft uh, is, you know, f- f- 25 or 40 people get together, go into an instance by themselves, go through and defeat bosses. Um, whereas I think the Guild Wars 2 translation of rating is more, um, if we think about things like Tequatl and the Great Jungle Worm is more an entire map's worth of people being out in the open and taking down bosses. So, and that, I guess we'll go down the list then. On. And Monkey, how do you see raiding translating just in a very general, you know, maybe one or two sentences? How do you see raiding showing up in Guild Wars 2? As l- uh, well, go ahead. Okay, so, uh, so we've already got the, the large open plan um tequila and we've got the worm and i think it probably and you've got five party dungeons it would be nice to have almost kind of 20 party dungeons so that's how i would think raid would work quite well so you could have four parties um and that would then also allow you to do very kind of prescriptive events that you need a party to go and do all at the same time simultaneously things like that and duke you think that you're hoping that it would be more open world Yes and no. Um, I think if you restrict it, and I think if you make it instanced, it means that you can increase the difficulty level by quite a lot. I know that a big complaint at the moment is the fact that a lot of people have ascended gear, but outside of fractals, the very high-level fractals, having that gear advantage isn't that much of a difference when it comes to dealing dungeons normally or... um, things like Tequatl and the Great Jungle Worm. And I think by having a hard raid environment, it might um, motivate people to get better geared into Ascended uh, Armour, even though I know that Arunia said that they don't want any sort of um, gear progression to dictate what content people can do. Um, the other aspect of it is, you know, I, I love my open world stuff, I love hundreds of people getting together and doing something but the problem with applying hundreds of people to doing events is is that of roles like something that you mentioned Sean in terms of the, the question of roles like what can an individual do in a 150 person raid environment which will make the difference um, it's, it's quite a hard idea to sort of conceptualize because you're dealing with so many people how do you balance that against the difficulty of any encounter in the open world i think it's it's quite difficult and another point with the open world as far as like making any individual important someone can come along that is not necessarily from the bigger group or whatever and they can ruin it for everyone else yeah a prime example of that is um doing Tequatl and your turret users. So you can you can make or break an t- entire Tequatl attempt by being bad on one of the turrets. Now, is that... So is that the issue that... And we saw that issue, actually, with the turrets early on in Tequatl, where people would AFK on the turrets. And it, 
Right. I think you. Oh, go ahead, Duke. You can mitigate. You can mitigate it a little bit now because um, if you're smart about it, when you're preparing a Tequatl event, first and foremost, it'll probably be a guild spawn rather than actually waiting for the normal spawn to happen. Um, and then you can find an emptiest map. Get your turret users over there first and foremost, get them in place, and then start taxiing other people in. Um, that sort of thing's mitigated, but no, I, I'm agreeing with Monkey in the sense of, I, I mean, that's only one example, but if you look at um, the Great Jungle Worm, and when it comes to, I forget what colour it is, but um, the one on the, the one head on the western side of the map with the barrels, if you don't have enough people using the barrels to explode the head, all at the same time, you, you know, you're going to run into some problems. Yeah. Tweedity, how do you see raids showing up in Guild Wars 2? I would say it has to be instanced. Um, I mean, uh, now that we have a uh, uh, world server, or however you want to call them, it's creating maybe more problems than <laughs> it's giving solution. Uh, we, we're having, uh, for Tech Artel, for example, it's it's hard to find the right server, the right the server might close uh, because uh, at the beginning of the hour it it was empty and then suddenly it's full and you are one minute away from killing uh, that taco monster and then um, and then you get chucked out. We had that happen before. Um, yeah, so it, absolutely make it instance, please. <laughs> um, yeah, the the other things. Yeah, I'm. Um, I'm a bit worried about it's how we're going to um, decide who's going to do what, what is uh, what profession should be where, and things like that. That that might create a bit of an issue. Or, I mean, um, it's well, it's uh, be a trial and error thing. Um, my last point is what will be in the raid. What, what what do they mean by that? Is that going to be more like uh, the old living story content? Is it going to be completely new? Is it going to be more like a dungeon, or yeah, or just a, a big boss to to kill? So yeah, it's more I have more questions than answers <laughs> to be honest about raids. Yeah, and that's why we're having this show to speculate wildly because that is one of the fun things that we do on Relics of War. So. Moving into wild speculate, well, actually, we've been in wild speculation for a while now. Uh, the roles then, we talked about turrets, we've talked about that sort of thing. Do you see, how do you see roles coming into the raid? Monkey? Well, they'd probably be very key, but it'd be also based on what sort of content you're throwing at the people. But I mean, ultimately, even with five person dungeons, you've already got very specific builds and there are a number of pug groups that say oh you must be this or you must be that or the ever-present rangers just get kicked out of groups because nobody wants to have them in their in their five-person party so <laughs> which is sad because rangers are awesome i love rangers yeah but those things aren't really like mechanical requirements from the game it's sort of just like a community driven thing exactly so if if you make it, it's kind of you could easily enforce the need for a spread party. Um, say, introduce a mechanic that must get moved, uh, that where a, a player character or an object must get physically moved. So if you've got a yank, you can do it one way, but that would, that would suit the ranger's power shot. 
So it's kind of, you could obviously build specific actions that are done within the raid for specific roles to enforce a level of kind of interoperability between the classes. In terms of content as well, I would love to see things, as Tweet mentioned, from the Living Story return. So Marionette, Tower of Nightmares, that sort of thing. But oh, yes. <laughs> Please, Marionette, I love yeah. that. It was my favourite. Yeah, the Lorna's Lorna's um, Fast Marinette was was probably the best bit of living story mass group exercise that they've done. And if you just refine that, I guess, into a potentially harder encounter or make a cap on it, for instance, only five people per lane, you could get a really interesting uh, experience. With that, do you feel that you can use the system that they have with fractals currently to access that or do you think that they should just have a portal in the open world to access that sort of content uh, i think they should have a mixture of either the guild can spawn it or so then you you choose who's, who gets into it as only people from the guild or yeah instance with a lfg system like a, yeah like a portal or something yeah, I think they're quite limited if they were trying to implement it actually within the current fractal system. Unless you were to go to the fractals portal and then select that you wanted a raid encounter rather than a five-man party uh, dungeon run. That that actually could work, but it's just adding more menus to the fractals. So yeah, maybe something out in the open world. How do you... S- I think I'd- oh, go ahead, monkey. So I was just going to say, it would probably be quite nice. I mean, they've they've done so much work with all of their maps... And and they are just sometimes a joy just to kind of run about in. It would be so much more suitable in a way to actually use that content. So you have the instance where they're located and you have it situational. So fractals work with a kind of default portal because they're functionally not connected to the normal map. Whereas you would have thought, and it would be quite nice for the raids to actually be connected to wherever it is locationally that you are. Make it so that much like the dungeons, you're actually entering them from the location. Yeah, exactly. With back on rolls, they have added in, for example, the worm and to quaddle, using items in the world, such as turrets or bombs, to create a roll without requiring a profession. How do you feel about that uh, in Guild Wars 2, Duke? That's a really good question. Um, I think it's good, and I think that it changes up the encounter quite a bit. But at the same time, I would like each of the classes to have a certain importance in the in the raid. So when you're doing Great Jungle Worm, everyone knows how important Condi Necros are. It would be good if we got into a raid environment where every profession was important in its own way like that. But for um, for the open world stuff... I think it's okay to give people uh, jobs like turrets and things like that which don't necessarily require that much experience in your class or that much skill um, because that means that you can be a bit more flexible as to who to put where. But in a more serious raiding environment, I would hope that it would be more class-focused and class-based. Udity, how do you see that playing out in a raid system? Mm, I, I quite like the fact that um, each person uh, has a sort of a role 
without having to rely on their profession because um, some, you know, like for example, in Guild a lot of people think that being a guardian is like the most. <laughs> I don't have a guardian. And I feel quite frustrating when they, sometimes uh, you go to a dungeon or wherever and they say, oh, we take only guardians or things like that. I think it should be open to everybody. Um, yeah, so that, that's my take on it. Monkey, how do you see that playing out? It's an interesting point to have generalistic roles or generalistic kind of pathways that anybody can obviously be part of. But I suppose in some ways, it always there are certain features that are always just going to come down to um, to class. So I mean, while the turrets, for example, in Tecatl are kind of ag- role or class agnostic, um, you still get damaged on them, and so ultimately, you're not going to put a 5k guardian on there when you can put a 10k warrior because they'll just last longer. So it's kind of if you were to put mechanics that were class agnostic in them, you'd have to take them outside of the class in its entirety, so kind of totally hive them off and close separate bubble as such. So almost like, for instance, using that example with a turret, if if anyone gets on the turret, no matter what class you are, what spec you are, everyone would have to have the same amount of HP, yeah. same amount of damage and defense and things like that. Indeed. So literally you get into a turret and the turret itself is, has got its own damage. That's a very t- interesting concept. I'll, I'll go for I that. I like that idea. Well, I mean, it, it, they could it, do that with like a vehicle, like they do for golems. Well, see, golems don't work. Well, so I'm thinking about, in World v. World especially, of course, um, the HP of your, of your golems are still affected by class. Oh really? So you, I did not know that. So the HP, yeah. So if you if you spec for a massively HP'd golem, you will have it. It scales up. You will have more HP as a as a golem if you've got PVT runes rather than berserker. Yeah, um, a a golem adds to your base um, attributes. So if you check out the wiki page, it basically explains it there, where you get a certain amount. Plus HP uh, on top of what you've already. So getting in there with a warrior or a guardian tends, or a warrior just or a necro tends to be a little bit better just because of the raw base AP or HP. Yeah, exactly. So if you were if you were to make true classless kind of objectives, they'd have to be very thought out, or they you'd have to almost divorce the class from that particular activity, which then might actually. It, while it might promote anybody doing it, it then becomes almost a bit odd because you you then there's no real point in you yourself who's chosen that particular class to be there. It could just be anybody. Which is an interesting thought because you could create items that you pick up, bundles that do what classes do, but slightly less effectively. So, for example, you could create a fight where reflecting, like in the jungle worm, is really important. But you don't have to bring a reflector, because there's a bundle that does reflecting, but it's not as good as, say, a guardian or a mesmer with feedback. Would that, you think, be a good alternative to basically say, you need this role but we're going to give you a slightly less effective version so you don't have to bring a person with that on their skill bar. Do you think that would work, or do you think... I think people would just 
bring others with those roles. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Well, I don't know, because sometimes it's hard to find exactly what you want, and uh, the people that are around at the time you want to do the raid, you know, uh, might not have exactly what you're looking for, so it's a good alternative in case. I think it depends on the sizes of like the group of people that you're dealing with, so when we uh, do things with the GW2 community in the EU, basically they have so many people that they can... Um, specify they need X person playing on X class with Y skills, you know, and that's great because they've got that pool of people to draw from. Whereas, as Tweet just said, I guess if you've only got a 30 person guild, you've got to be more limited as to how many people you actually have available to do the content. One interesting thing with raids is that, speaking of people and having the people with classes, an interesting thing with raids in World of Warcraft and other games is that the premier raiding guilds tend to require the their members to have stables of alts that they can bring in for specific fights and swap classes and characters based on what's needed per fight. Do you think that if they build very specific requirements, it will incentivize people to swap alts, or how do you think that should play out in raids? Uh, Duke? Or Monkey? Go for it, Monkey. I was just going to say, I, I, I think you'll, you'll end up having both, as you do now. You'll have, you'll have some people who will then end up doing humongous numbers of tries to do the perfect speedrun with almost raid-specific alts, um, because that's, that's what drives them. And then you'll get other people, probably like RPS, who just goes, ah, oh, we've got ten people. Um, should we just go and and do this? And we'll kind of go, oh, do we have a Mesmer for that little spot? Yep. Oh, okay. Do we have a Guardian for that one, for that bit? Yep. Okay. And then as long as you get it in the group, it sh- it kind of, it won't matter. And I guess part of that will come down from the fact of, depending on how big your group is, and the fact that you're all deliberately doing the content, um, it will mean that you have the numbers that naturally will provide all of the skills that you need. When we're talking about class utility as well. The one thing that for some reason keeps springing to my mind is Citadel of Flame Path 1 when it comes to the flaming rocks part um, after you've just done uh, you've freed the engineer and there's a passage where you have to um, go through some flaming rocks and there, usually people bring Mesmers if they're doing a speedrun but sometimes they don't because the game has the mechanic there to say, okay, so you've not brought a Mesmer, so you can just be portaled through to the other side. If you don't, fair enough, but you're going to have to rely on the skills of individual players to get you through that. That is a cool spot, and it does provide an interesting choice of mechanic pursuit. How do you see actual combat mechanics playing into boss fights? What sorts of things would you like to see? Bosses and just environmental in the raid situation do. Quidity, what are you what are you looking for in bosses? Um well things like uh, the latest living story so that there's um uh, maybe a progression so um don't know if uh, if you've done uh, the previous um uh, like two weeks ago the previous living story the, the ending where um you're in the in the soul crystal 
So uh, you start with one gimmick, which is uh, maybe the color. Then you, just, you have one boss, which you do this one. And then the next one is the gimmick with the crystal itself. And then the final boss has both the color and the crystal. So maybe something like that. That would be that would be quite cool. Duke, how do you see them pursuing boss design in a raid? Um anything that does not involve you sat on a turret pressing one until Mordremoth dies. <laughs> um, because it can't be two because yes, they've already and done that. that. Would be too yeah, the, too easy or too what a too boring? too boring. What other two jokes can we say about this? Oh, it would be. It, it's going to be. <laughs> it, it needs to be decided. Uh, it's. Uh, um, I too think that <laughs> we should have some sort of lead up to the um, to the to the boss. So, yeah, something like what Tweet said. Basically. You've got your first boss who uses a very simple mechanic. Second boss also uses a simple mechanic. Third boss uses a combination of those mechanics to be harder. That would be good. Um, uh, in terms of actual, like, what they'll be, um, I wouldn't necessarily think, like, Mordremoth or whatever. Even ideas like the Great Jungle Worm, even though it was a little bit random, it came out of nowhere. Oh, yeah, Scarlet's pumping the ground, uh, pounding the ground rather, and she's woken up this worm. Fair enough. Um, uh, you know, no one, I don't say no one, but a lot of the people who are into serious raiding don't care too much about the context of um, the encounter, so long as they make it fun. And and whenever you're building any sort of boss fight, I think it needs to be hard enough for it to be challenging, uh, but easy enough for you to do it after you've mastered the elements of the encounter. Which is a, a way of saying, make it hard, but not too hard. <laughs> Basically, in, in, for those that don't know, I come from a world-first rating background. So going into new bosses was always a bit of a feat for us, because there were no strategies to sort of take off of online and be like, okay, this is what we're going to have to do. It was more of a, all right, we're going to die a lot right now, so let's run in and try to see what all the mechanics are. You see, I think that's really interesting. I think, you know, it's something that, um, I mean, has happened a little bit in Guild Wars 2's history, what with the Quattle revamp and, more recently, the Great Jungle Worm. But uh, you don't really get a huge amount of it in Guild Wars, where, as you say, you go in, if you get killed instantly... Okay, you figure out what killed you and how to avoid it, right? So you dodge that, and then you get killed again, and then you build on your knowledge from previous uh, previous deaths. Really, there's there's not a lot of that in this game in general. I think a large part of the reason why that doesn't really exist in Guild Wars Two is because everything, or well, most things, are in the open world, and they have pretty strict timers. So there really isn't an opportunity to go in, die, figure it out, and then come back right afterwards. Whereas with an instance, that's pretty much part of the course. I mean, you even see that in Living Story to some extent now. With, like, the end bosses of each Living Story. The most recent one being a really good example with the, like, weird dog-wolf-dragon hybrid thing. I, <laughs> whatever that was. <laughs> the, uh... Which do you mean? The 
uh, thing which flew around and then ran around and then and then it would charge. Yeah. That that fight actually reminded me a lot of a fight in WoW in um, Tournament of Champions, I think it was called. Mm. In Wrath, there was a circular room and there was one boss that would charge in a particular direction. You had to avoid it. Interesting. When when you die to or go down, whatever you want to call it, to this particular mechanic, because it's in an instance in living story, you just retry from checkpoint and then you can sort of run back in and learn from your mistakes. It's really yeah. interesting seeing that dynamic starting to sort of pour into Guild Wars 2, especially when they're just now talking about raiding being introduced. I think the more that we discuss this, the more it becomes obvious that serious raiding will have to be instanced due to the flexibility of you being able to retry encounters as well as the fact that when you're doing something in the open world, especially something challenging, there's always the possibility that uh, some people might come in and bugger it up either out of ignorance or malice. Or just yeah. rich waiters as well. Yeah. Because people have no accountability if they're just there for the kill, you know. They don't feel any loyalty to the guild. They're just there to, to get some loot. And uh, in situations like that, how can you enforce that sort of attitude where you're like, right, if we don't die the first... I'm sorry, if we die the first time, then we're going to go in again and again and again. It, a, a lot of people in the open world, as I've seen through uh, our own experiences as a guild, a lot of the random people just don't have that sort of patience or... Um, Behavior, really? Yeah, it's funny. I, I, it's one of the things that I dislike almost about some of the instances that we do have in Guild Wars 2 is that it just becomes learned behavior. So it's kind of... Um, so the worm is basically... Everybody Everybody that wants to do the worm properly joins the guild that knows how to do it really well and, and everybody all has their set role and, and at this point you do X and at that point you do Y. And as long as you do that, you'll always end up winning. That just seems, suppose in a way, that's, it's a mechanic that obviously works, and you just have to learn how to do those mechanics. But ultimately, I would, I would prefer uh, bosses that were actually random in their attacks so that they didn't have, oh, 25% in, he always does this. It could be, oh, between 20 and 30%, he might do one of X number of moves. And so it actually therefore makes the fights always quite random. And so that you can't then find a spot that it will always keep you safe. And you can't always find a mechanic that will always get you from that bit of the fight to the next bit of the fight. Because it's always random. Recently, there was a game, Wildstar, that implemented a system like that with the boss fights. Where each week, the boss's abilities would change. And the devs would not tell the people what the new ability was so when you went into a raid you had to essentially relearn all the boss fights while there were still core elements of it that were the same there was that element of randomness do you think that randomness is the best option or do you think that there should be a system where the ai actually attempts <laughs> to kill you and fixates on using its abilities to the best of its ability interesting before we kind of go further with that, going back on like my experience, whatnot, uh, <laughs> just sort of in my experience, bosses with like 
obscene amounts of RNG tend to be looked at as being poorly designed as artificial barriers of difficulty. Because a bad roll, if you get a bunch of bad rolls in a row, all of a sudden your group wipes and you can't control it. it. Exactly. And on the flip side to that, when the RNG is done in a way where it's not necessarily ramping up difficulty, it's just like, oh, this week, this is what you deal with. Eventually, when you run a raid enough, you're going to know all those situations anyways, and it just becomes, uh, it becomes very similar to what most people see as traditional rating where you just know the mechanics and you sort of go through this synchronized dance sort of situation of just knowing where to be, when to be there, and executing things as you need to. Yeah, I guess so. Good example. Yeah, a good example Can I just add this would well? be Go ahead. Um with regard to mixing things up with Guild Wars. A huge problem that I personally have is that I play the game on Ultra with all the particle effects turned on. Why would you do that? Especially. So pretty, <laughs> yeah. though. If it is pretty, and if um, the boss is doing something new, like a melee attack, for instance, it can be really difficult to tell when that's being telegraphed. Mm-hmm. And so... For me, part of the predictability of the bosses kind of works because I know um, <laughs> what's coming. So uh, I know this is not, not what you're supposed to do, but I can kind of switch off as to looking at the boss and I can instead focus on other things, whether it be getting groups organized or watching my own positioning and stuff like that. And sort of going off of that relying on visual cues thing, there was actually a boss in... Uh, I can't remember exactly, Ulduar in Wrath, that when you did it on, quote, hard mode, it had, like, this random fire on the floor effect, but because of the color of the fire in the floor, it was actually really difficult for people that were colorblind to even see it. So, Uh in in my raid, at least, we actually had three guys out of ten that were colorblind. So, in order to sort of get around this, and this is kind of what she did, they would just get on top of our healers. <laughs> and so they've had to compensate it, but simply by... It took us forever to sort of figure out what we could do, because this particular element was random. They had to be able to see it somehow, except there was no physical way for them to do that, so we had to figure out something else where it could become predictable for them. Mm, interesting. Well, I guess I suppose it kind of comes back to the class question, which is if if uh, if the boss fights had basically a an attack um, which was always kind of breakable, shall we say, in the kind of classic combo breaker um, way by a particular class, then that can <laughs> then also mean that you would then count for the whole idea of having mixed groups. So, so say he's got something that is reflectable. So then you either have an NG or a Mesmer, for example, or there's something that hits, I don't know, 15k damage. So therefore you have to have character that can survive it. Um, Yeah, exactly. So say, for example, he unleashes a a close range attack that knocks everybody away or for 80 for, say, something like 15k. But if you're a warrior, of course, you can take that blow. But um, the boss is then vulnerable for a small amount of time which you can then do a lot of damage to him for instance so it's kind of it would allow you to put mechanics in that would then 
mean you have mixed classes in a particular fight? Going sort of off of that idea, something I saw in the CDI was a suggestion to have mechanics just like that, but instead of making a certain profession or class, whatever you want to call them, specific to them having multiple avenues of dealing with these professions, dealing with these situations. For example, you give the um, idea of a attack the boss does it does a massive amount of damage that, uh, say, a warrior would have to soak up or block her somehow. Uh, on top of that, having ways of avoiding it for other classes, like say, this boss is going to attack someone and there's a tell there. You could have a thief stealth the other person and the boss will lose targeting and that's how yeah. the thief would negate it. Or a guardian could give them Aegis and they just eat it and not take any damage because guardians Obviously. are overpowered. But yeah, that, that's that sort of, <laughs> kind of yeah. to make it more skill-based that you that two or more classes can have so as you say reflex you've got two classes can do that stealth engineers can do it as well as thieves um that that sort of fight but each of the each of the actual fights themselves are always randomized in terms of a particular attack that could occur at any particular point i think that's what i would prefer just so that you it's because i mean for example lupius has his four phases and and if you read up about it you can know exactly how to deal with each of it but actually if sometimes in the second phase he was doing what he does in the fourth or or throughout the entire 100 percent, he can do mixes and matches of all of them it just makes it a little bit more ex dynamic yeah dynamic. i was going to say exciting but that's not quite right but yeah as you say dynamic so that it isn't just a oh we can always do one thing here or but not on this one I was thinking you were like, oh, this boss is going to have like these mechanics in this list, and you might not see any of them, but you'll see like these instead, and coming from, uh, in my experience at least, bosses that have similar like sort of attitudes for their mechanics tend to be incredibly frustrating from a progression standpoint, because you go in, you don't know what they're doing, and then... Once you actually see what they're doing, you usually have to take people out and bring something in because you're building your group to be optimal. And for this particular situation, you might not even have the tool that you need. Like example, you gave the one for Reflex. There's a relatively good chance that if pretty much the entire rest of the raid doesn't require Reflex and these people go in and say it's their third week, they go to this particular boss that has RNG, and then they realize there's this thing that has to be reflected. Then they have to figure out, oh, we need to bring in a guardian or a mesmer, and that's just adding time into the logistics of it that I think really isn't that necessary. When it's better to be very upfront and have sort of a set path for each boss as to what they can do. Now, with that said, however, having different kinds of mechanics for every boss is a good thing, and having RNG tied to it isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's just, I, I really can't stress enough how important it is, at least for the progression side of the community of rating, that being able to know what you're dealing with ahead of time is incredibly mm. important. But I guess... I was going to say, um, yeah, but I think we're we're totally speculating the fact that this is obviously this is these the raids are going to be meta. So it's you will be doing this once you're level eighty and you've already got a fair bit of kit. It's not that we're talking about people who haven't played the game that much. If they've if they've got an alt up to level eighty, 
they'll have been around the bush a bit, so they should have a fairly good spread of everything. Um, and if it's and if it's raids we're talking about, these aren't just dungeons that you can just quickly LFG. The whole idea is that you get ten people or twenty, then a little bit of organisation to to do it well obviously will help. But that that's where you can make um, the more like the WoW style, whereby you can do stages one and two, and then everybody leaves the instance, but that raiding group can go back in and do three and four whenever they've got time to do it again. Taking those concepts about bosses and moving into a little bit broader view of the raid itself, how do you feel the raid should be laid out? There are a lot of different examples of raiding, just two really quick. The standard WoW raid, which is trash boss trash, or the Guild Wars 1 style sort of adventure area or elite zone where you had a lot of different options and it was very non-linear. How do you see Guild Wars 2... Or how would you like to see Guild Wars 2 implement the raid zone itself? Uh, Tweet a T? Hmm, I don't know. I never did a, <laughs> a raid before. Um, yeah, I think I, I see it more like, uh, yeah, like a dungeon type of thing. So maybe more like walls. Uh, like uh, an example would be uh, when I do uh, a Nara dungeon. So it's it has some kind of adventure some kind of story but um and maybe two or three different paths but at the end of the day yeah it is trash boss trash boss but then the way to get to the boss might be different every time yeah i love a non-linear approach to it but looking at the success of wow's pve and the fact that that's something that kept the game together at, at the max level for a very long time, I think it would be a wise business decision from ArenaNet's perspective to make it more like their model of trash, boss, etc. Um, but I'd love a, a non-linear raid zone. Mm. It's kind of going on well, just a minute. Um, a good example of sort of the trash boss, trash boss layout that isn't linear would be um, NBC Serpent Shrine Cavern, where I mean, sure, it was Trash Boss and at the very beginning, it's sort of linear, but you could choose the order of which bosses you wanted to attack because of the layout of the actual map. And Yeah, that's a good example, yeah. I, I, I mean, obviously, um, <laughs> I have uh, flashbacks to Serpent Shrine Cavern because of that Kraken which is the first major boss you do. Um, but, yeah, something like that would work, I think. Which is interesting because the lurker below wasn't actually supposed to be the first boss of SSC. It was that big elemental dude that's, like, right there at the entrance. Okay. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, no, I, for the random, I was more thinking, as a, yeah, as Ara, for example, you, you all do Lupicus, whatever you know, fast you get to, but it's a different way to, to get to it. Guild Wars 2 does have a fairly interesting event system, and if you played any of the Elite Zones in Guild Wars 1, it had systems wherein, for example, in Underworld, you could beat, you would have your quest that you would do initially, and it was very linear, but then once you finished the first two quests, it opened up into seven different things that you could do to go and find the Reapers scattered around the map. Do you feel that it would actually 
behoove ArenaNet to leverage their meta event system into creating chains of events that lead you through uh, in a linear fashion. You guys are liking linear. Monkey, what do you think about linear versus versus uh, non-linear content? Well, the thing is, Guild Wars is, is kind of built about the idea of not being linear. It's all dynamic events. It's all a living ecosystem, isn't it? Ecosystem, call it what you will. It's um, So to have such linearity is would be kind of counter to the whole kind of ethos behind Guild Wars 2 for me. Anyway, um, the whole idea is that you can wander through a, a, an amazing landscape and kind of come across events because it's dynamic. I would, I would prefer. Well, I mean, given my obvious requirement for a slightly more random bosses, I would just go. It would be quite unique and, and I think quite strong to have multiple pathways to potentially to the same objective overall, but allow you to do it in in the order that you want. And actually, um, so when they changed. Uh, the the dome function, and they had the bosses that, as you killed one, the powers then went on to the next one, the pavilion. Now the that's pavilion. A, that's an obvious mechanic that, while painful, was learned reasonably quickly, but actually provided for quite a good level of kind of working between groups to make sure that you didn't give a really yeah. bad boss anyway, make him the final one when when he was kind of super powered, because then he was just absolutely evil. See. I like that you actually mentioned that because coming from an, a viewpoint of minimizing the difficulty to sort of get through a encounter that way, the way I would do something like that is by splitting up the like the groups to attack every single boss at the same time and killing them back to back quickly enough where you really don't have to deal with the individual mechanics going to every single boss because they die so quickly after one after another. Well, that's exactly what we did. That's yeah. the purpose in it, that you basically start off with your map of 60 people, split them up between each section, get them, get all the bosses down to 5% or so, hold them at 5%, and then when everyone's ready, you give the shout to burst, and then each section of the map bursts down on the boss. Which essentially gets rid of the RNG of it and makes it much more of a predictable encounter. That's true, actually, yeah. Because it, it, I mean, we, we mastered it by the end and we were getting gold runs um, pretty much every time we attempted it under those circumstances. So, uh, yeah, you're, you're right. Even though it's a good mechanic, it still became predictable. I think this is a limitation of making any sort of complex game, though, is that, of course, they're going to run out of um, different situations eventually because there's only so much you can program into mm-hmm. an encounter and when you've got millions of people playing a game there's going to be one group out there that masters the best way to do it and then everyone else is going to take after them and unfortunately it comes back to the whole learning side of it where as Monkey said you know, you, people don't really want to learn things like Worm for themselves in their own separate groups, instead they find out who's done it the best, go join them for a bit learn from them, and then extrapolate their learnings back to the rest of the people that they know, and the only way that you're going to get around that is just by including completely, well not completely random elements, but um, giving a boss a certain skill set and then allowing them to pull from any and all of those skills during an encounter. You're, you're absolutely right, particularly about the like people coming in just to learn things. Uh, that was actually incredibly common 
in my old guild during BC, we would have people that would show up for one or two raids, and then they'd server transfer back to their original, like actual guilds, just to take <laughs> our strategies. I mean, that's ridiculous. But at the same time, would you say that that is that a testament to how seriously people took WoW's PVE scene? Oh, absolutely, and people still, to an extent, take it that seriously. And it's not just WoW. You see that in any game that has that sort of challenging upper-tier content. Unless the content is completely broken, then nobody does it. (laughs) Right, exactly, yeah. And I guess on the flip side, the interesting thing about Guild Wars 2 is um, if we look at things like the Great Jungle Worm, even though we as a guild, have learned how to do it from the GW2 community. If we want to kill the Great Jungle Worm just on any day of the week, we would still go to them and contribute our numbers to their forces in order to kill it because you just require so many people. And I think if we're talking about 10-man, 25-man raids, uh, there's more room there for someone to come in, learn what they can, and go away. Whereas if you're requiring 150 people per encounter... There's there's less room for people to split off into different guilds and different different raiding groups, and instead there's a requirement for everyone to come together and use that shared knowledge in a positive way. Mm-hmm. So one thing with the jungle worm fights to quaddle is those do require slightly different gearing, but they don't really necessarily... Every, you can complete it while in full exotics. Do you feel that... How do you feel about that as being the gear requirement for raids? Do you feel that there is that there should be a different gear requirement? What sort of gear level or tier of gear do you feel should be necessary for raids? Tweet a T. Well, the way I give us to is, is uh, apart from, you know... Um, Dungeons that are part of your uh, personal story, old dungeon, um, even even those ones are the, are the basic one. Um, you find out that you you would need a level eighty really to do it, or at least a majority of the people having level eighty to do it, um, and yeah, and have a, at least exotic gear on you on you. So I don't see. You. It was to changing that 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 pattern. To be honest, I mean, really nice if they had, um, yeah, like a rate specific for this kind of level or this and that. But um, no, I think it should it should stay a level eighty really. And what level eighty a level eighty ascended gear? Do you think? No, I, I would say just exotic. I, I think uh, because because the ascended is is really geared to, uh, to fractals. I don't think it would be fair to uh, to have it um, imposed for for raids unless they justify it by having AR in it or something like that. But. I don't think that 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 will happen. Interesting. I mean, I I think you could if if they're bringing raids in, there's an obvious place that they could make it in terms of using the slots differently for for making raids easier. So coming up with new mechanics or coming up with new items that can go into ascended gear that makes the raids easier or more efficient, and that will then cause an uptake in ascended gear. Because quite frankly, at the moment, it really is just for AR or not, 
whereas you could make things that go into the slot that would be RAID-specific rather than world-to-be-world. World. A, a large part of like people not getting Ascended peer, peer gear, I think, is the sheer investment that has to be made to get them. Like me, personally, I hate crafting, so I'm never going to have Ascended armor. Yeah, I made my, yeah, um, I made my full set purely, so first... even though I may never do it, I could conceivably have all of the... Uh, all the slots AR'd. Yeah, it it's very it's very time consuming. It, it it costs a lot of money. I mean, of, of all my arts, only one has full um, ascended gears. Uh, I, I didn't bother with any others. Mostly, no, I it's, agree with, it's, with Evie. It's the crafting thing for me that puts me off. And on top of that, it's also a time thing. And while I can appreciate like wanting to extend the lifespan of your game or whatever. As far as rating goes, and this sort of goes into um, entry level and uh, accessibility, having the requirement of ascending gear, at least I think, would make that bar of entry a little too high for the general Guild Wars community to be able to even start to appreciate rating in general. Because a lot of people aren't going to be able to commit to getting the gear before they go into a raid. And even if they could, there are a lot that simply wouldn't want to. Well, but I mean, that was, I suppose that was my point of, it's not a requirement as such, but you can potentially make raids easier with sended items. Which does raise an interesting question of, currently the primary way to get ascended gear is through fractals and crafting, and really mostly crafting. How do you feel rewards, for example, getting Ascended Gear out of a raid, should be structured? Or should the rewards be different, and should they be exclusive? And also, how should you acquire them? Tweetity, how do you think rewards should play out? I don't think they should be exclusive. I think most people, when you see most people, what when they do... Um, Dungeons or whatever events, they do it for the, for the goal. So they, they do it for either something that they can sell then on the Black Lion trading for quite a lot of money or that by salvaging. <laughs> you know, uh, it, it, it's, no, I don't think it should be. Maybe one or two things should be exclusive, but I, I think it sh they should keep it pretty, pretty general. What do you think, Monkey? I'm, I'm pretty much in agreement with, with that way of working. Um, Ultimately, I think it should be things that wouldn't necessarily be account-bound, so that you could sell them so that it wasn't exclusive, so that if you had the ability to be able to, to do it, then, then you can buy them. So much in the same way that we've got legendaries, and they're entirely sellable. So there might, there might well be content, or there might well be rewards that you can only get in a, in a particular run, but you don't have to do the run yourself to get it. I mean, they'll be rare and they'll be expensive, but it would still make it much more inclusive. Now, a large part of uh, raiding rewards is the prestige of having the rewards from a raid. And I know, at least for myself, I actually see fractal weapons being more prestigious than even legendaries because with at least a fractal weapon, you know they at least got to level 20 fractals to even have a chance at it. And with legendaries, you're going to be like, oh, this person probably or maybe just spent a lot of time in the auction house and now they have a shiny weapon. It's nowhere near as prestigious and a lot of readers sort of mm -hmm. chase that. I mean, it's an interesting ethos. I mean, I just 
I don't necessarily look at any items that I see people running about with and think, oh, how did they get that? It's more that they have it and it either looks good or it doesn't. What do you think, Duke? Yeah. What do you think, <laughs> I Duke? Agree. I think, um, Monkey, are you saying that you don't look at my well, characters? Especially, especially with some of your characters and their <laughs> questionable <laughs> colour taste. <laughs> um, well, it, my take on it is if you... Why can't they just do it like while raiding? I'm sorry, but that's where it comes down to. So have an entry level raid where if some of your raid members have ascended gear, great. If not, then Flexoics is kind of expected. Fair enough. And then have the bosses in there uh, drop ascended gear if we're going down the ascended route. So drop ascended gear or whatever level of gear they want to bring in so that you can get your raid members geared up and then they can go into the next raid which does require ascended gear and so on and so forth. So it's a bit of a grind it's a bit of the whole um, uh, gear progression thing coming in which I know that ArenaNet have said many times that they hate but if you want to make these encounters more challenging it's going to be the easiest way to do it. Yeah and ArenaNet in the past has said that we don't want gear progression and all this whatnot but they kind of destroyed that when they put in ascended gear to start with so at least at, from the way I see it, if they want to truly sort of focus on reading and have people take it seriously and not have Ascendant sort of be the tier above, they're going to have to do what Duke just said and sort of just hand out Ascendant gear in this raid so that from that point on, all the raids could provide Ascend- or could not provide, could be balanced around Ascended. And then, if you keep Ascended Gear the best gear in the game, or, well, Legendary is being the best in slot for weapons and things, but if you keep Ascended Armor the best in the game, then you can say at that point, okay, we know that players have got Ascended Gear, fair enough. We can then go ahead and balance all the future encounters around just Ascended Gear without having to introduce another tier of gear or whatever. And it'll sort of go back to that idea of, okay, everyone's sort of on equal footing now, and this is it. Uh, Though, I will say that if they do go that route, it'd be very important for them to introduce other avenues of getting Ascended gear, particularly for World v. World players. Hmm. But then, is there... um, If you're a World v. World player, are you going to be doing raiding? Or is that just going to be the next avenue? But will that then actually enable you to try and get World v. Worlders to play more PvE because then they can pick up this new stuff? So could Anet use it as a kind of forcible pathway to actually get more World v. Worlders involved with the PvE? From my experience, that does not go (laughs) over well. (laughs) I mean, PvPers, PvP, that is what they do. And World v. World has a unique issue as far as PvP goes in Guild Wars 2, and that gear actually makes a difference. So having, requiring even, World v. Worlders to go into a very specific type of PvE content is not going to bode over very well, which is why I stressed that if they do make Ascended much more widely available in PvE, they need to do the same for World v. World. So the problem with having ascended gear in world versus world 
mainly comes from girls like RPS, where we flick quite easily between PvE and World vs. World, depending on how we're feeling. And I understand that there are guilds out there who will just exclusively stick to World vs. World or PvE, but for others like ourselves, um, if the choice is between a fairly hard raid instance, which is focused in PvE, versus uh, going out and taking a keep on one of the borderlands, we're likely just going to go to one of the borderlands and farm you know, for ascended gear there, if we were that motivated to get it. Well, it really just boils down to making ascended gear the standard instead of exotic as it is now for them to really push forward just design in general for balance and whatnot. And granted, it is a bit of an issue as far as what is easier and what isn't, but ArenaNet, at least in the past, has been fairly open to introducing new ways of getting Ascended Gear, as far as like having multiple ways of having at least something that's Ascended. Now, they just, I think, need to move forward and make it where all the slots of Ascended Gear have multiple ways of being acquired, so that people can pick their easiest path and get that standard and experience the game for the way it's designed to be. So, yeah, I, I, I agree. I know you almost stumbled onto the point I just suddenly thought, which was um, one easy way to make Ascended um, be, the, be the top dog and everybody go for it would be to allow um, slot transfers for free. So, and then if you have, so, which, so if you had an Ascended armor, you could put in, or Ascended weapons, you could put in your sigils for undead and go and do ara and then you could swap in your cough specific ones and go and do cough and if you ended up having runes or sigils that were raid specific then you could allow them to swap in those raid specific ones go and do a raid on dungeon a and then come out and then swap over to mechanic b swap over to kind of sigil or or rune system b and that would then instantly push people to getting ascended because it would then be the best stuff that you could get. Totally agree on that. Yeah, that that's why I said previously that unless you want to make it for AR uh, specific rates, then I, I didn't see the point in having that uh, using a uh, ascended gear. So yeah, that would work. Which ascended gear balancing it around that seems seems reasonable. One thing that has been relatively underused in Guild Wars 2 is cooking and the food buffs. I know Evie hates them <laughs> passionately. How do you guys feel about food buffs being used in the raids? Uh, I think Evie might hate them if, based on his WoW experience of flasks. And... <laughs> I was an alchemist in WoW. I loved them because they made me money. And you, here's uh, the contrast. In WoW, as soon as they released jewel crafting, that's what I swapped my rogue to, of all things. Because I was just like, oh my god, permanent stat boost. Let's go! Because I was so sick of, like, temporary status bonuses. So what do you I, think, Duke? I, well, I'm probably the wrong person to ask, because I loathe crafting of any sort in Guild Wars. I love crafting. I love I'm just a special snowflake in that regard, because everyone else seems to love it, including Tweet, it seems. Um, however, I do consume a lot of food, 
both in game and uh, in real life. And <laughs> I I don't know. I think it would be okay for food to supplement a little bit of your raid group, but you shouldn't be able to compensate for the lack of ascended gear with the Guild Wars 2 version of flasks or whatever they might want to introduce. Well, they already have that with a lot of their food buffs that are out there. Do you think that those should be required or not, Duke? Um, well, I've never really run a dungeon where they said, you know, you must be using X food. Even when we've done our Explorable, we've not um, made even using the um, Potion of plus damage. That's the one. Uh, a complete requirement, even though it is recommended. And that's what it should be like for raids, you know. You should be able to do them based on your skill and your gear, and what you consume beforehand should only be a tiny little bit of a help compared to the rest of your available uh, resources. What do you think, Tweedity? Um, well... Uh, yeah, um, no, I'm quite happy <laughs> if uh, we can have uh, different buffs with uh, requiring, uh, yeah, um, either um, food or um, elixirs or things like that. Uh, we do it in fractals, for example, when it's dredge, you, you use the specific dredge ones. Um, yeah, it gives a tiny bit of an advantage, but uh, I think they, sh- they should be allowed in raids, absolutely. If you don't want to use them, then fair enough, but um, I think it'd be, uh, it'd be stupid not to be used because, um, yeah, well, people do make them like me and um, I quite enjoy it and you know if you want 25 people you will find some there that will be happy to do them for the rest of the group especially it would make platters much more useful yeah they're they're underused in some aspects i think it would be an it would be an interesting extra mechanic to raise foods awareness which i mean you could you could make raid specific foods much like an ascended item so it has to be level 500 to be able to make it and then it's specific for raiding, or you could even make it specific for a particular raid. Um, and of course, the recipe is only available as a drop from that particular path as well. So you could and do it that. Just it makes doing the raid a little bit easier because of the buff you get from it. But it's yeah. not necessarily required. Yeah. I mean, you Interesting. Could, uh, so that could be an exclusive drop, too. Would you want that to be sellable on the market, though? Maybe. Um, I just had a sudden uh, kind of talking when we've been talking links back to the kind of RNG factor. You could almost put a buff into the bottle that then allows you to restrict some of the randomness. So you could make buffs that are raid specific that allow you to, before you activate a boss, you can basically effectively flip a couple of switches if you're if you're particularly tonicked up a certain way, that then limit his available pool of of choices. I think that that should only be something uh, that comes after you've experienced it in its mm-hmm. fullest the first time, though. So it just makes it easier on subsequent uh, runs through the raid to get past that certain area. Basically, once you have the raid on farm, so to speak. So maybe yeah. not release that sort of recipe with the raid itself, but maybe a few months down the line. Much like some games, once a raid has been out for a certain amount of time and the next tier of raids is coming out, 
it, they will nerf the raid itself. You could release that as a raid nerf so that the people who weren't able to clear it are able to clear it. And those who want to do it in its original difficulty give basically an achievement for not doing it with the with the buff. Yeah. There's all, I mean, there's always a good angle to try and get achievements left, right, and center, isn't there? So you, yeah. can, you can always do it that way. A, a clean run versus drugged up, as it were. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's less way. drugged up and more like on steroids, though technically it's technically the same. Uh, yeah, it's steroids for drugs, yeah. And if you do that approach that Sean just suggested, um, it also ensures that you get a lot more of the player base actually able to experience the content that has been made for it. And with the fact that you get special rewards and stuff from achievements now, that would actually be so maybe an exclusive mini or a toy that you can run around with or maybe like a special carpet or something that you can run around on that people are like oh man he did that without the buff I, good for him since i've sort of been running with final fantasy 14 for a little while because a friend got me into it i've sort of renewed my vigor in the idea of like profession specific armor sets and the idea of them putting achievements in the raids that reward these is extremely compelling to me. <laughs> Having medium armor that isn't a trench coat for a thief that like actually looks like it belongs on a thief would just make my day. And it could be legendary too, because why not? Legendary everything. That would I mean, be interesting if you made Ascended Gear super accessible across the game, but the primary way to get legendary armor with swappable stats would be through raiding. Yeah, and that would actually really help raiders, because if they introduce legendary armor with swappable stats like that, being able to... We can already swap traits out of combat, so being able to swap stats on gear would make swapping builds much more of a... What's the word I'm looking for? Much less inconvenient and costly. Because right now, if you really want to like switch builds, you have to have different armor sets. And having legendary armor kind of would go over that. Yeah. So, let's, we've been talking for about an hour. And so let's go ahead and... Actually, it's about an hour and a half. Let's go ahead and, <laughs> and get close to... Or Man, I'm going to have to edit that. <laughs> we've been talking for about an hour and a half. So let's go ahead and start finishing up. Is there any other closing thoughts that you guys have? Monkey, any closing thoughts? Uh, I think they've got a lot of capability in that team, and they've got a lot of chance of doing raids well. Uh, and I think they should definitely stick to the whole Guild Wars 2 roots of it being quite dynamic world. I don't think that they should replicate WoW raiding mechanics just because it works for WoW. It's uh, Guild Wars 2 is blatantly not wow, and uh, I think that they should definitely stick to it not being like that. What do you think, Duke? Or any uh, any last words um, on the show? Not overall, that would be unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> Why, you sent someone after me. <laughs> um, Midget will be there soon. <laughs> just have to knock him out. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, I think I don't know, I just Make them fun. Make them very challenging. Um, I'm basically, I would like the Mad King's Clock Tower of Raids. That's what I would like. Something very challenging. <laughs> With a jumping puzzle thrown in as well. Yes! Um, no! <laughs> as long as you but, can get a Mesmer to do the 
do it for you. That'll be fine. You see, yeah, exactly. And then you've got the Clash Utility coming into play there. You see? Um, <laughs> something along those lines, you know. So, uh, something challenging, but rewarding to do. And make all the bosses drop Ascended Armor. Thank you, ArenaNet. Tweet a T. Well, I'm quite excited that there's new content coming up. You know, it's uh, something that we uh, always uh, are craving. Uh, for um, I hope there will be a lot of different ones available, not like, you know, one or two, and then they're going to go and move on to the next thing and then leave it there. Like, uh, for example, Game Missions, uh, where uh, it was a good idea, but, uh, you know, we're stuck with three different puzzles and that's it. Um, yeah, but i um, looking forward to it. Cool. Well, I think that'll do it for the show. Evie, do we have anything else? Wheel of Morality, turn, turn, turn. What is the lesson that we should learn? Uh, anyone? Who would like to tell us about the term GG? It is a term that refers to what is that monkey? It refers to? A horse. A horse. And there you it's go. A moral lesson. It's a... <laughs> I attempted to find the origin of this, and according to etymology.com or englishstackexchange.com the term gg is taken from horse racing where a gg is the first horse out of the starting gate and then there are a whole bunch of posts arguing about the actual etymology of it so i do not know actually where it came from and there we go thank you everyone for listening (laughs) you are about to hear the dulcet voice of cole tell you about relics of ore and where you can hear more from us but duke where can we hear more from the RPS Guild? Okay, so first and foremost, we are on Twitter, and we're at RPS underscore GW2, I think. That's correct. <sighs> and also, you can um, check out our forum, which can be accessed at tinyurl.com slash RPSforum. Um we're actually holding a PVE event for the community on Saturday, and it's going to be the first major open PVE event um, that we've held since the mega server system was introduced, and that's Saturday, the 29th of November. Um, you can actually view all the details about that on the official forum. It's in in-game events, and there's a thread about it there. It's called the Battle of the Five Armies. Are the Thank Eagles involved? Uh, yes, eagles, dragons were killing smog at the end of it. Um, gold, hobbits, everything, everything's there. Awesome. Where can they? Fo- where can people follow you all individually, Duke? Uh, I'm on Twitter at d underscore witherheart, and you can also check me out on Tumblr. I've got a blog that's updated pretty much daily, and that's at duke-w.tumblr.com. Monkey, where can people find you on the interwebs? Uh, generally, I'm I'm a regular on the forum, and so if you want to see more comedy posts, then that's generally the best place to find me. Nice. Tweet a T? Uh, well, I am on Twitter as well, and you can guess what it's called. <laughs> exactly the same way, T-W-W-T-I-T-I. Um, yeah, that's me. If not, yes, I'm uh, in the forum as well, like Monkey. Awesome. Well, thank you guys again for joining us, and this has been another episode of Relics of Ore. 
Thanks for having us. Indeed. Thank you. That was another episode of Relics of War. If you'd like to get involved, you can find us on any social networking site such as Facebook, Twitter, Steam, and many more just by looking up Relics of War. That's Relics of O-R-R. Similarly, if you'd like to send us mail, you can send that to relicsoforr at gmail.com or go to our website, relicsofor.com, where you can record right there on the front page using our WordPress widget to put on a headset and give us your feedback. Or if you feel more comfortable with it, you can go ahead and just record the audio and send it to us as an OGG or an MP3 file. If you'd like to join us in-game, send a whisper to Cole, C-O-E-H-L, and Nexi, A-N-E-K-S-I, C-Squirrel Run, that's a C, and then Squirrel, and then Run, or Spirit Face to get in contact with us or join the guild. Last, we always love the comments, so if you want to go to our main site and start commenting on some of the posts that we've got or join our forums, you can have fun with that. If you listen to us on iTunes, you can find our page on the market and just leave a comment or a rating that you feel that we deserve. We appreciate that. We'll read them on the show. 